Ephesians 3. Let's just dig right in here. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, I said last week, there's some people that have influenced my life greatly, right? And their influence did not die when they died. Their influence continued on. And Apostle Paul's one of these people that... He's just one of these guys that when he says he was praying something, my antenna goes up a little bit higher. I want to know what he was praying. When he said, this is my prayer for you, I want to know what he was praying for someone else because I I know that he knew God in such a way that I long to continue to know him in that way. He says, for this reason I bow before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray out of this, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all. Somebody say all. All All of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Say immeasurably. Immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless the reading of his word this morning. We, we, we see here the Apostle Paul. He, he has the, the ability. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago when I was preaching on the five-fold ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, but I said God has given gifts to the church and the church is a gift the church is a gift to the world but God's given gifts to the church Jesus it says has given gifts to the church and their ability in 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 a large part is to be able to look into someone's life and see something that God's put inside of there that they don't see inside of them yet that that person doesn't identify with yet it's a gift it comes in a apostolic gift a a prophetic gift an evangelistic gift a, a, a pastoral gift a teaching gift but they're gifts right that are given not so that somebody can see what an uh, uh, apostle or a prophet or a pastor does, but so that those gifts can reproduce into other people's lives. So that an evangelism evangelist can, can teach and disciple evangelism to people in the body of Christ, in his church. Somebody say amen. And so in that, you have Paul, who's definitely beyond anything apostolic. And he's looking into this church in Ephesus and he's saying, I want you to understand the prayer that I'm praying for you. Wow, there's mentors in my life, people that have mentored me, people that pastor me. And when they look at me and they say, I'm praying for you, that means something. But there's times where they've looked at me and say, I want you to know what I'm praying for you. And I'm like, whoa, you tell me what you're praying for me. And the very things that they're praying for me are those essential things that have been secret in my life where there's emptiness, where there's brokenness, where, God, I need you to do something. Because the church in Ephesus knew 
Jesus Christ, right? They knew they were serving. They were following Jesus. But he said this. He said, I pray out of the glorious riches, verse 16, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. Say inner being. Do you know you can be incredibly just Hulk strong on the outside and still broken on the inside? Do you know that you can go to a gym seven days a week and spend hours and hours and hours? And I believe we should take care of our physical bodies. But I believe many times we're neglecting our inner man. And the very first thing that Paul is praying is that we would be strengthened out of the glorious riches of God, that we would be strengthened with power through His Holy Spirit in our inner being. That's the first thing I believe that we need to understand today, is that God wants to strengthen us today on the inside. That there were things that the church in Ephesus was going through. We could study it historically and we could see things, things that were things that were common and that were both common and uncommon that the church in Ephesus was struggling with. But you know what they were struggling with the most? Their humanness, their humanity. You know, the biggest, you know, the biggest struggle that we struggle with today in this room, our humanness, our humanity, right? we, We like to think that we're not broken after a while following Jesus, right? But there's still moments where he's desiring to reach into us and touch things inside of us and heal things inside of us that we just got used to living with broken. So I want to speak to you about that this morning because he goes on to say that our lives should be used, our time, should be used two chapters later in Ephesians chapter 5 he says I want you to I want you to begin to understand how to redeem the redeem the time it's the word kairos it's the word season right it's not chronos chronological order it's the Greek word kairos which is a, a season he's saying uh, in a sense he's saying I want you to learn how to redeem every season every moment for the days are evil but in Ephesians 3 here he's sort of giving us a prescription for what every season should become like I'm talking about seasons of loss I'm talking about seasons of brokenness I'm talking about seasons where we're healing and mending from divorce I'm talking about physical sickness I'm talking about just depression and brokenness on the inside of us. I'm talking about the best of seasons. I'm talking about newlyweds and new marriage and and new jobs and new things. We're in the new part of the year. We're still in January. There's newness here. And this is a month where we tend to think a lot about vision. We start to we start to think a lot about the plans that we have and maybe the plans that God has for us. And we begin to make resolutions and commitments and shifts and changes in our lives. But I just want to speak to you this morning and I want to say to you, whatever season you find yourself in, the Apostle Paul is giving quite a recipe here 
for seeing that to be a good become a good season in your life. Yes, I just said that things that things that look bad in the beginning, that if we begin to look at what's happening in, in, in a different lens, in a different way, they can they can become something that not only God will use, but that we would even be able to look back and say that was a good season in my life. He says this in verse 18. That you may have power together with all the saints to know how to grasp. I mean, have you ever had something that's hard to grasp? I mean, I remember, I remember when my when my grandma passed away. I knew she passed away. I, I was I was there right before, immediately after. I preached the funeral. But you know, we grew up right next door. And I remember continually for like a year referring, oh, I'm going over to grandpa and grandma's, right? Because I couldn't grasp, that's that word grasp, the fact that when I got there, she wasn't, even though I knew, right? It's that word grasp I want to talk to you about for a moment. Because he says here, Paul says here, that you would grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is and to know His love that surpasses knowledge. He's talking about our capacity to grasp something. Not just to know something, right? You can know that God loves you. Many of you have followed Christ for a long time, and we could sit and you could share Scripture after Scripture of how you're sure God loves you. There's a difference here. Paul's talking about spending time surveying the love of God. There's a difference when you survey something. I used to build houses. Every time we would buy a piece of property to build a house, there would have to have been a survey of the property. And what they would do is they would come out and professionally measure out the borders of everything, right? If you need a really high-end survey, maybe you need to know where important features and creeks and rivers and streams and mountains and valleys and other structures and all of these things they will go through and they will professionally um, measure everything to like a, a micro size of an inch right so it's like no it's right here they're sure they've measured and Paul is saying Paul is saying that we're challenged in these seasons to begin to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And I want to say this, if we're not grasping, if we're not grasping, it's because we're not measuring. In fact, you're going to get a pretty good handle on your problem because it's really natural for us to measure our problems. You're going to get a pretty good handle on your grief because it's really natural for us to focus on and measure grief. You're going to get a pretty good handle on the, the problems that you have in your house as, a, as parents. You're going to get a pretty good handle on the problems that you have in your health because they'll keep scheduling you doctor's appointments and give you more information. You're, you're, going to, you're not going to have a problem measuring the things that seem wrong, right? But what happens is whatever we're measuring is whatever, is whatever we're understanding in our lives. I said, whatever we're surveying 
is wherever our focus and understanding is in our lives. So if we're surveying a problem, we're surveying the brokenness of that problem. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't have any problem going to the doctor and them saying, you have this wrong with you. And I, you know what I'll do? I'll grab the doctor's hand and I'll say, thank you. I know exactly how I'm going to pray. God's going to touch me now. And they look at me like, you are crazy. And I'm thinking, yes, I am. But I'm telling you, when Jesus has touched you and healed you as many times as he's touched me and healed me, you wouldn't expect anything different to happen. See, I want to say this. There are people here, and I'm going to speak to you about vision. In the next 20 minutes, I'm going to speak to you about vision. But you've got to understand that the vision that God has for your life is more about what he wants to do in you than what he wants to do through you. And there's certain types of personalities that they, they feel like because of the things that they've been through and the decisions that they've made along their journey and their path, that the best thing that could happen would be God would do something through them because of all the mistakes that they've made. But I'm telling you, the best thing that God wants to do is in you. And if you, even if you know him, even if you know him more than you feel like anybody knows him in your row, he still wants to encounter you this morning with his power and with his love and with his peace and with the fullness of his love is what Paul said here. So let me, let me, let me, let me get you there with this. Second Kings chapter four, you, you might know the story, right? There's this, there's this widow of one of the sons of the prophets who her husband has died. Now, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't 2020 in North America where there was a lot of wives and ladies that were in the workplace. There wasn't wives and ladies in the workplace. The, the man was the one that went and provided income for his family solely. Just want you to track with me on this thought. And so this, this prophet died and she went, to the, she went to the lead prophet. She went to the head prophet. And she said to him, my son, uh, it's just me and my sons. My husband has died. Um, we're out of money. In fact, the creditor is soon to be coming. And we're going to lose everything. We need a miracle. You know what she was looking for? I'm just going to be honest with you because I've needed miracles. She was looking for somebody to write her a check. She was looking for somebody, she was looking for somebody to give her a, a, a handout, right? I love to help people. I'm not knocking that. But God wanted to do something different in her life. And, and, and so the man of God looked at her and said, well, what do you have in your house? She said, I, I, she said, all I have is a little bit of oil left. Like in the whole house, there's nothing left. We've sold everything. We've, we've gotten rid of everything. All we have is a little bit of oil left. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to borrow as many containers, as many empty containers as you can. As many empty containers as you can find, I want you to borrow them, jars. And I want you to come into your house, and I want you to bring your sons with you, and then I want you to close the doors. Now, I remember the first time I was reading that and, and I saw close the doors, I remember the Holy Spirit teaching me in that moment that there are times where God wants to do something in my life and in my family that will affect the world, but it's not about the rest of the world. At that moment, it's about what God wants to do in me. It's about what God wants to do in us. And he closed the, 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 the story goes, they closed the door in 2 Kings 4. 
And when they closed the door, they began pouring oil. And they continued pouring this little cruise of oil, right? And it never, it never ran out, right? The Bible says it didn't run out until the last jar that they had borrowed was empty. You know what that says to me? That says to me, number one, God can do something greater in my life through the things that I feel like are worthless or the scraps that I have left than I could ever imagine. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about measuring the love of God, surveying the love of Jesus, right? And God wants us to, God, God doesn't, you know what? You don't, have to, you don't have to look at cancer like it's cancer and just stare at it, right? You can begin to survey the love of God all the way around that. You know why? Because I know that God loves people that are struggling in their health. There are people that, are, that have went through loss or brokenness or divorce. And you know what? People are really nice to us when we go through loss. People are really nice to us when we go through brokenness for a while. Then after a while, they want us to be like, come on over here, get over that. You know, that was a while ago. You come over here. And they don't see the, the wounds that we're still carrying inside of us. But I'm saying, even in those seasons, we can begin to survey God's goodness. It's exactly what this prophet taught this woman. There's something left in your house. By the way, you say, I don't know what I have. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit's given to every believer. Just a side note, anytime you see oil in the Old Testament, it's typology of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So even if you felt like you just had a small dose of the Holy Spirit, God's saying, if you will, if you will, how many of you know you can borrow somebody else's emptiness? How many of you know you could, I would lend you my brokenness. You know what I'm saying? I, I might not give you all my good stuff, but I'll, I, I got some bad stuff I'll share, right? I'm just saying in, in my worst mind, he's saying, if you, if you, Stop looking for people to meet your needs from their goodness. See, what happened is all of these neighbors got involved with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because they were involved because their emptiness was borrowed and it was filled with the fullness of God. Not only was her emptiness filled with the fullness of God, right? Not only did the miracle provide for her what she needed, it was one that touched the whole community. Somebody say amen. Amen. I think in Numbers 13, about the children of Israel, right? Joshua and Caleb going in, they're coming back to give a report. They come back and, you know, the, the, there's 12 spies that go in and 10 of them, they have names, but they're not really named after this, right? Because why? Because you don't really need a name if you're going to have a bad report, right? You can get a bad report anywhere you go. Right? But Joshua and Caleb came and gave a different report. They said, actually, there are giants. Actually, there are cities with fortified walls. But they said, we are well able to go in because the Lord said that he would give it to us. In other words, their ability was predicated on the fact of what God had already said. It wasn't their circumstances that lended them to believe that something was possible, but it was the word of God and his promise that lended them to fully believe that he was able to perform what he had accomplished. And so what did the children of Israel do? You can turn to Numbers 14. You can see, you know, they, they uh, what did they do? Well, 
They didn't rally around Joshua and Caleb, you know, like we would think they would like to do, like we would think we would like them to do, like we think we would do, right? They didn't rally around Joshua and Caleb and say, you know what? This is it. These guys are men of God. They're going to lead us into the promised land. No, no, no. They begin to complain. They begin to complain against the leaders and they begin to complain against God. It was better making bricks. It was better making bricks for Pharaoh than it was being here stranded in, in the wilderness. In the very moment when somebody was deciding to see with different eyes what God was desiring to do. I want to talk to you about different eyes this morning. I want to talk to you about vision this morning. Because number one, the grace of God is unnatural. The love of God is unnatural. It's not natural. It's not natural love. There's natural love talked about in the scripture. I didn't come to give you a Greek lesson, but there's, I believe, four or five words for love, even in the New Testament, right? Eros love, which is erotic love. Phileo love, which is brotherly love. Agape love, which is godly love. This is agape love. This is unnatural love that Paul is speaking of here in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3. And so it leads me to say to you that, 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 that this love of God, that this force, this grace of God is unnatural. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not, I mean, it's not natural. It's, it's super, it's supernatural. You know what our, you know what our tendency, our tendency in life is to recount our circumstances while discounting God's grace. It's like this. We'll tell a whole story and people will be like, oh, they're getting it. And it'll be followed with one word and a comma, but comma, but my circumstances, but I made these decisions when I was younger, but I'd like to do that. I believe that's what God has for me, but this is the season because of my health or because of my children or because of my marriage. Listen to me. The grace of God is unnatural. It's supernatural. It's beyond normal. Whose report are you going to believe? I just felt this this morning. Even as I was praying this morning, getting ready, I felt this. I felt that there's people this morning that you, that you have at least part of a vision for your life. You know, Jeremiah chapter 1, it's one of my favorite places to go. Identity and vision, they connect together. Because you don't know who you are until you know whose you are. Because you don't really know, right? Uh, I remember uh, hearing this a few weeks ago. But if you, if you think about a cake, just think about a cake for a moment. Just get hungry for a minute. Think about a cake with me, will you? I don't like chocolate, so a big white cake, right? Frosted up really nice with extra frosting all over it. You know, looks like it's fit for a king. You could take that cake. You could take it to a, a science lab. They could forensically tell you every single ingredient that was in that cake. They could, they could probably even tell you the temperature that it was baked at and for how long. They could tell you all things about that cake. You, there could be philosophers. You could take it to, 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 to a bunch of philosophers and they could tell you. You could take it to the philosophy department at MSU and they could tell you why they think 
the cake is the way the cake is. Let me tell you this. Only the baker of the cake can tell you why he baked the cake. I said only the person that baked the cake can tell you why the cake was baked. And it's the same way with our lives. You can't, you can't know the purpose for your life until you know the one that made you. And when you know the one that made you, so I, one of my favorite verses is in Jeremiah 1.5. It says, I'm paraphrasing, it says, before Jeremiah was even put in his mother's womb, he was formed and he was set apart for a purpose. I mean, think about that for a moment. God doesn't make purposes for you. He made you for a purpose. You were made on purpose, but you were made for a purpose. That's not a popular thought in the world today, right? We like to discount people's lives for the way that they were born, for how they were born, for the home that they were born into, for their last name, right? Maybe they were born with disorders or something. You know what? God knew the way that they were going to be born, and he wanted glory from it all. But the only way he really gets glory for our lives is when we understand that we were born for a purpose. And the only way that we discover that purpose is inside of him. I'm speaking to you about that this morning because I believe that people are born with a sense that there's something greater for their lives than what they're experiencing. I believe that. I believe that because I hear people talk about these things and their level, their level of engagement in their life with passion and love and fullness is generally low. And, uh, and, their, and their, their, their desires are constantly shifting and changing because they're pursuing something to try to fill the hole that God's created in them to be filled only with His love. And see, God's opposite from the world. The world says you're valuable if you do something valuable. God says you're valuable because I created you. And you'll do something of value once you understand how much value you already are. You realize that. You realize I could be laying in a hospital bed instead of preaching the gospel. I'm still worth as much to God as I am today because he loves me and he purchased me with a price. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you first of all, and I told you this, that the grace of God's unnatural, but I want to tell you that the, that the love of God, the grace of God is unfailing. It's unfailing. And he won't fail you. He won't fail you. You know what? The scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, not even once. 2 Corinthians 12 says it like this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon me. And that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's this, it's this word sufficient that grabs a hold of me and grips me. The word sufficient here in the, in the original text means possesses with unfailing strength. So let's just put it in there for a second. My grace possesses you with unfailing strength. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, the Holy Spirit can completely shift a weakness and not just fill it, but make it a strength. That's why people that struggle in their lives with, with addiction, you know that God can take that 
and the brokenness that's there. He can heal you and fill you with his presence. And what was a weakness can become a strength. Because God called you to be strongly pursuing a substance. But it's not alcohol or drugs or pornography. It's a relationship with him in the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no, no difference in those things. I want to say this. Because of grace, falling doesn't mean failing. Falling doesn't mean failing. Proverbs says this, the righteous person falls seven times, but they get back up again. You know what? Seven times isn't seven times. It's just the, it's the number in the Old Testament that represents completion, fullness. You just keep getting back up till you're done. You know what the church does? <laughs> we think maybe we'll put that person out of their misery down there, you know? They keep falling. No, no, no. No. Pull yourself up today. We want to pull you up today. God's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you. Number three, the grace of God is incomparable. It's incomparable. Ephesians 2. But because of the grace of his love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. But by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming of ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let, let me say this. Romans says, Romans 8 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy of comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know what? There's people. I'm one of the people. That in seasons of our lives, we can say, man, this just isn't fair. Everything was going right in that season. And now it's like everything's got pulled out from underneath me. Somebody pulled the rug. Who pulled the rug? What's happening? What? I'm attacked. What's going wrong? I believe this. I believe this with my whole heart. I believe that if we would begin to survey the grace of God, the love of God, that it's an unfair reality in comparison to the resulting condition of sin. In other words, if we're not going to survey the grace of God, we're going to survey the condition of sin in our lives. You say, wait a minute. Are you saying that I'm sick because of sin? Are you saying, no, no, I'm talking about the fallen nature of the world that we live in. It's not something that God wants us to set our eyes on. And, and there's, there's turbulence. There's turbulence. It's the word that I heard as I was praying last night before I fell asleep. Holy Spirit said, there's turbulence that people are going through. You know what happens usually when people are going, how many of you have flown on a plane before? There's turbulence, right? If there's turbulence, the first thing that ding, fasten your seatbelts. I've flown a lot. And you're like thinking, oh, great. You know, here we go. You know, the first, our natural thing to do when there's turbulence is to brace ourselves. I was just flying down um, into the Amazon jungle about six, seven weeks ago now. And uh, on the, 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 the last leg of a three-flight journey to get into Iquitos, Peru. And it's the jungle. It's the deep jungle. And so there's, there's all sorts of 
the storms there every single day. It's rainy season, right? And so the plane's coming in, and they say we're coming in towards our final approach. And all of a sudden, the, the, the cabin begins to shudder and begins to shake. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, I've been down this road before. This isn't fun, you know. And uh, ding, the seatbelt sign comes on, and people are, you know, it's mostly Hispanic people on the plane. So I don't really speak that much Spanish, but I know they're praying to Jesus. Then all of a sudden, the pilot comes over the intercom. And in Spanish and in English, he says, hang on for just a moment because we're going to take things up to a higher level. We're going we're gonna to go up to a higher elevation. We're going we're gonna to land kind of fast, but I can get us out of this turbulence if we can just get a little bit higher. And when I heard that, you know, I've been on plane rides that seemed like roller coaster rides, so I wasn't that freaked out. But when I heard that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, tell people that turbulence isn't turbulence at every elevation. There's always a higher elevation that they can get to in every season of their life where things aren't shaken. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, begin to measure the right thing in your life. Begin to, begin to measure around your life with different set of eyes. You don't, faith doesn't deny reality. Faith never denies reality. Faith is just superior to reality. And what does it do? Faith shakes hands with reason, says, hello, thank you. I'll take the wheel from here. There's a difference, right? There's a difference. Faith's never in competition with reality. They don't even operate in the same reality. Faith operates in a supernatural reality, right? Reason operates in the natural reality. That's why I said grace is unnatural. God's grace does not come from the things around us. God's grace, it says every spiritual blessing has already been stored for us in heavenly places. That means whatever we need to get through, He can get us through that. And that our job in that season of circumstances is not to feel sorry, is not to get bitter, is not to get bound or broken, but it's to survey God's goodness in that season because we can go all the way around something and we say, yep, He's here, yep, He's here, yep, this is good. This is good. But we don't ever get to put those set of eyes on when we're focused on our problems. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me again last night, tell people that in turbulence, they need to get up to a higher elevation. Isaiah, and I'm going to close in just a moment. Isaiah, uh, I believe it's 40, uh, 31. It says, they that wait upon the Lord... He will renew their strength. They will rise up as if on the wings of eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not grow faint. Now listen to me. It says they'll rise up as if on the wings of eagles. You know the bird that soars the highest? The eagle. They got a different perspective. You know the bird that people know the most? chicken I've never seen a chicken soar I've seen him get stirred up and flapped around and 
you know, almost have a heart attack, but I've never gone out and say, hey, kids, look at that chicken up there, you know? No, no, no. They stick low. They stay low. You know what? You know what we need? We need to stop seeing like the chicken, and we need to start seeing from the elevation of the eagle about where we are today. Because it could be something that God wants you to see different. In fact, I believe that there is something that God wants you to see different in your life today. And it's possible because when we're born again, the Bible says that we are given the mind of Christ, that we are given, uh, uh, that we become a new man, that old things pass away and all things become new. You know what that says to me? I can see differently than I saw before. And that's vision to me. The ability to see. Vision isn't the ability to hang on to a good idea. Vision is the capacity to see in every circumstances through God's eyes, through a different lens than we would normally look and say, God, what do you have for me in this season? And survey and say, what is already here? Hi, this is Pastor Andy Shaver, and I hope you've enjoyed this message. You know, the greatest joy of our ministry here is to see people encounter God in a relevant way and discover His plans and purposes for their lives. We exist to see their eternities altered through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can have present and eternal peace no matter what your present circumstances are. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that... He has a heart for the hurting and the broken. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 teaches us that if we confess our sins to Him, Jesus is faithful to hear us and forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to do that right now. Until next time, remember God loves you and so do we.